Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. Our first lesson this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John. We are in John 14, 1 through 14. And where we are in the context of John is that this is at the Last Supper. Kind of an odd sense since we have just come through Easter and gone through the Last Supper and the arrest and the betrayal and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And yet in our liturgical calendar, we are back in that time at that night. We are in 14 and in 13, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, said, go and do this. What I've done to you, do this to the world. He has already called out Judas and said, go, do what you must, who he knew was going to betray him. He already told Peter that he was going to deny him three times, and Peter is reeling. All that happened at the table. And now in the midst of that, this is what we call the farewell discourse in John. Chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all Jesus at the table telling them his literal last words before they will go to the garden. He will be betrayed, arrested, crucified. And so it begins here 
with some of which are familiar words. So I invite you that it is appropriate that we are at table with Christ tonight as the passage puts us. See yourself in that environment. See yourself in that room. Smell the bread and the wine. Hear the disciples talking amongst themselves. See Jesus beginning to speak. John 14, 1 through 14. Listen with fresh ears for the word of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, who later we will know as Doubting Thomas, but not yet. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip then said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Think for just a second about the word household. Take your family household out of it and think for a minute what other groups you're a part of that may constitute a household. Some more shallow, some can be deep also. What would you be a part of that you might consider a household of people. Household of God, right. We're sitting in it, I hope. Yes, we are a household. What else? I'm sorry? Yeah, sure, your work community. Often we spend more time with folks that we work full-time jobs with than we do even our own families. Sure, what else? Schools, right? Same thing, we're at those places for a large period of time. Give me two more. Teams, yes, thank you. 
We are connected to those for which we cheer and hope for. Whether you know those other people or not, you are all supporting, you are united in that common goal to rooting your team on to victory and success. Last one. Neighborhood, yes, thank you. Those in your literal neighborhood. And the hope is that we know those folks and that community has taken a beating in the past few years as we all kind of withdraw inward. Um, But neighborhood should be folks that we know and we are living in that same place and could be considered a larger household. So then including your family in your family household, what are the attributes that you would give to what a household is? What constitutes a household? How do you give that title to something? What is it that you do in a household that makes it a household? You care for each other, right. It's the relationships there. You love each other, right. What else? Cook? Sure, you cook for each other. You clean for each other. You take care of one another within that environment. Great. Common goals, right. Um, as different families and different uh, uh, families around different goals, there is some commonality that unites all of you in a household of sorts. One more. I'm sorry. Prayer. Absolutely. We are bound by prayer. Time. Yes. Time is also another important thing that unites us into a family. Who are those that we spend the most time with? Well, probably again in those two places, school or work and in our house are often those two. And those relationships build. And that love and those deep relationships that go through pain and heartbreak harming one another unintentionally, breaking promises, but also love and joy and traveling the journey of life together. Time is one of those things. We always need to be looking at where and with whom we spend our time to see what voices are really sculpting and molding us. And so all of those that helped us think about household comes down to these two passages today also are telling us about household. The word oikos, which makes all of you think of yogurt, is a yogurt. And yes, I could talk about the probiotic spirituality that keeps our faith regular, but no, that's not what this is about. Oikos is a Greek word for home or household. It is the way that one of the ways the Bible talks about those groups of people that have been called together, especially united in Christ, to be a special formation, to be a special group, to be God's children. The first second Peter passage that Alice read said, Each of you are a stone meant to build up the spiritual household your spiritual, the spiritual household. And here, as we begin John 14, again, at the table with his disciples, last words that they will hear from Jesus because they know he's getting ready to leave. First, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
well, easy for you to say, Jesus, you're getting ready to leave us. But second, it's that passage that we hear regularly. I will go on ahead and I will make ready for you the dwelling places so that where I go, you may be also. Where do we hear that more than even in Sunday morning worship? Funeral services, right, memorial services. We use that to say Christ has gone on to prepare a place for us. This dwelling place and dwell and dwelling are used all through this John passage. But it's not unlike the second Peter passage that talks about us being a household as stones building up a spiritual household here and then the household that we are hoping to be a part of there. So all of this is God's household. And what does that mean for us? Vicki lifted that up a little bit because who might we design in our households of faith? We might want or be led to try to be open to all kinds, all places, but most likely we would create a household of those that are more like us. That's just human nature, although we need to fight that. The household that Christ is talking about here, these dwelling places in this spiritual household that is both here and then, is big enough for all of God's children. There is not a checklist of those who were welcome in God's household and those who were not. God is the creator of all, therefore God is parent to all and all human beings are our brothers and sisters even if they don't agree or believe as we believe. Our job is to take the love of Christ to them and share what we believe not to beat them over the head, not to scare them into faith. You better, you're going to rot in hell forever, ha ha. Boy, that excites the spirit and soul, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. We share what we know because of the response to the resurrection and the cross. We live our lives in gratitude as we seek to build the God's oikos, the household here, that also will be where we hope to eternally be. There are no preconditions on that God's love is for us. It is our job to come to taste and see in table metaphor and then share this meal with the world. Let your hearts not be troubled. Okay? Jesus said so, so just go do that. <laughs> World's destroying, there's violence, anger. Every day we see the ridiculous, horrible, senseless death and violence that surrounds us. It is out of control. Every time I look at the news or listen to whatever source or media I listen to, I feel like it's collapsing in on us. Don't you give in, don't you believe it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Christ comes back and says, 
after Thomas says, where are we going that you are? I don't know the way. I've got a GPS. Tell me the coordinates. Tell me the address of where you are going so I can be there. And once again, Jesus is speaking figuratively and spiritually, eschatologically, end time, looking at the bigger spiritual picture. And we humans are, can't get past that. So Jesus rolls his eyes and says, I am the way. I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Let your hearts not be troubled. Why? Because I am the way. We know that in the book of Acts, early Christians were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. Christ was the way that was different from the way of the rest of the world. I preached an ordination service for a friend of mine uh, in Durham, and the title of the sermon was Convicted to Be in the Way. The twofold meaning for this young outstanding pastor was that number one, he was called to a way of life, a Christian journey that now would be different after his ordination. But the second, that he is being convicted to stand in the way of what the world says is right and the world's values that are different from Christ's values. A pastor is supposed to push and be in the way to help our family see a different way. Convicted to be in the way is also something we're all called to do, to stand up in the world to those things that we know run antithetical to the kingdom of Christ that run antithetical to Jesus washing the disciples' feet and saying, go out and wash their feet in my name. Antithetical to welcoming those into a spiritual home where we are all brothers and sisters. Being in the way means we don't just know that Christ is the way. And he doesn't say, I come to show you the way. He says, I am the way. And so it is in Christ that we know and claim and seek this way. And the truth, the truth has taken a beating in recent memory. All of us, I believe, are manipulated by external sources. Facts are not facts unless they come from our source. Objective facts are less objective than they ever have been. And I think to some degree, without tossing out the baby with the bathwater, both our national media and politics are manipulating us from whichever side and bent. It is so hard to know what the truth is. The good news of that is that Christ is above that and is the truth that stands over all truth. And so one way to look at the truths as we are seeking to live our lives, whether that's to vote, to know what or who to support or how to live our lives, we need to ask ourselves, is this seem like the truth of Christ? Is this the way and the truth? And if we hold this up against Christ and we see it is clearly not, then that's where we need to stand up and be in the way. The way, the truth, and the life. Tom Long, wonderful 
professor and pastor has a sermon entitled The Way, the Truth, and the Lifestyle and says that often we look at our lives and the difference between life and lifestyle is that a lifestyle can mean the image that you present. Maybe it's the clothes we wear, our station in life at that time. Maybe it's our hobbies. Maybe it's who we are with, the things we cheer for, what we do, who or what we ally ourselves with. And those can change. As we try something, well, that's not for us. We move on to something else. But a life is a calling. A life is about those core pieces of love and relationship that are at the core of our journey with Christ. We are called not to a Christian lifestyle that puts it as something that is disposable, something I do when I have time, but rather a life, our fullness of who we are. So as we come to this table today, know that it is Christ himself who calls you to this table. Know that this does not belong to our church. You do not have to check boxes of who you are, what you do, where you have been. to come to this table. For as we seek to build the spiritual oikos, the spiritual household on this earth and seek Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, we begin as we walk forward this morning to the table. The table that Christ sets, the table that reminds us of God's love through sacrifice and how special all of us are. So Christ invites you to come, taste, and see that the Lord indeed is good.